0: Hey, Rockheads, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. Here to tell you that the folks who make the amazing NDC conference in Oslo, London, and Sydney are coming to America. That's right. The first annual NDC Minnesota is May
1: 7th to 10th at the St. Paul River Center in Minnesota. Right now, you can get early bird pricing, only 800 bucks for the conference itself. But early bird pricing ends on February 17th, so go to ndcminnesota.com today and register. And tell them
0: Carl and Richard sent you. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin, and this is Richard Campbell. Here with a uh, a, a very what I think is going to be a very interesting show today. Um, I won't give too much of it away, but you probably read the the, the description. Um, Richard, as a way to jump into this topic, uh, I in coming to the studio today, I had an experience that made me made me find this. So oh. well, just roll the music. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> All right, dude, what do you got? So this is a blog post uh, by Terry Meyerson, mm. who's executive VP on Windows and Devices Group. Um, and it's on Microsoft secure blog. It's protecting customers from being intimidated into making unnecessary purchases.
1: Interesting.
0: So apparently there's been an increase in free programs that, basically say yeah we'll fix up your computer we'll scan for errors we'll make everything faster yeah and then they scare you using coercive messaging to buy a premium version to correct the problems that it actually caused in the first place (laughs) it's really really nasty it purportedly fixes the problems that are discovered by the free version but whether you know whether it actually creates problems or not i don't know but but there's just been this spate of things so So this is right from the blog. To help protect customers from receiving such coercive messaging, we're updating our evaluation criteria to specify that programs must not use alarming or coercive messaging that can put pressure on customers into making a purchase or performing other actions. So they use the evaluation criteria to determine what programs are identified as malware and unwanted software. Interesting. Isn't that cool? You're almost talking about,
1: it's reading the words that the app is saying and saying, does this look like a scam? Right, right. That's really an interesting place to be.
0: So their evaluation criteria is now updated to state that programs must not display alarming or coercive messages or misleading content to pressure you into paying for additional services or performing superfluous actions so that this software might display characteristics like... Um, It reports errors in an exaggerated or alarming manner about the user's system. (laughs) Gee, that's never happened before. Requires the user to pay for fixing the errors or issues monetarily or by performing other actions such as taking a survey, downloading a file, signing up for a newsletter, installing other stuff. So it's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. So starting March 1st, Windows Defender and other Microsoft security products will classify programs that display this coercive messaging is unwanted software. Pretty cool. Which gets back to the
1: whole point, which is if you think there's something wrong with your machine, just let Defender do its job. Right. Yeah. They don't really need anything now,
0: else. Now, what's interesting is that when I was coming into the studio today, uh, I just took a quick look at my email. And I got this email from a friend who's actually a fellow musician, plays in a band. And it was like, uh, you know, uh, unexpected exclamation mark was the was the subject. And I read it, and I said, "Hey, Carl, it said, hey, Carl, you know, I, I don't usually do this, but, you know, and then a sob story about a cousin with cancer and has to raise some money and I right. um, need a couple of thousand dollars, and if you're interested, you know, if you can help me, let me know. So I didn't know anything about it. I just wrote him back and said, hey, um, you know, I'm, I'm about to go to work here, but you know, send me the details. And so, Uh, then I texted him and I said, Hey, did you just send me an email? He goes, no, my email was hacked. Don't answer it. (laughs) Yeah. No, spear phishing. It's a classic. But, but the thing is, is that it came from his account. So yes, somebody actually got into his email account, took it over and, and used it.
1: Or at least made it look that way. I mean, it's very,
0: it's interesting to dig into some of those hacks, but yeah. Welcome to the world of the internet. Yeah. Well, I thought those two stories might, uh be sort of relevant um, to the history of, you know, what happened with .NET code running in the browser beforehand and all that stuff. So, maybe that'll come up later. Oh, perhaps. Okay. Who's
1: talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1455, the one we did with Mr. Sanderson back in July of 2017, talking about a thing called Blazor. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, Yeah. And uh, oddly enough, it kicked off quite a few comments. It was kind of interesting, this idea of running C Sharp in the browser, as prototypical as it was at the time. But Knox North had this comment about six months ago, where he said, wow, I was truly impressed by Steve Sanderson's assembly, pun intended, of a bunch of different (laughs) technologies for getting .NET into the browser. And I don't know that you actually got .NET there. You got C Sharp there, but you know. As I was listening, I wanted to ask how he did debugging work. But a week or two later, Steve tweeted out about debugging C-sharp in Chrome. Awesome. And then Miguel Diacaza had a post about C-sharp and F-sharp, hello world, in mono in the browser. Nice. Richard and Carl, I hope you can have a show with Steve and or Miguel talking about these exciting developments. Nah. Nah. We
0: won't do that. (laughs) Sorry. We got to draw the line somewhere.
1: Yeah, come on. It's it's all just, you know, hype. (laughs) I would much prefer, and this is the line that got me, I wanted to read this comment, because I completely can relate to it. I would much prefer to have a development environment that was full stack, C sharp, from top to bottom. The disadvantage of having potentially one time longer download could be offset by the aggressive caching of shared libraries. Both websites and web applications could be the exact same thing. Mm. Love the show. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah 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 well i think that's where we, that was what we got excited about is what if we could just use c-sharp everywhere what if the the code i'd written on the back i could run on the front end like it's just yeah we're all pretty excited about this we are so uh we're with you Knox. excited about the same thing thank you so much for your comment A.NET .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you, and if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug.
0: And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet, and we might think about decrypting your hard drive. <laughs> we might. <laughs> Look uh. at you and your malware. Aren't you cute? Uh All right, let's introduce our guest. Steve Sanderson, of course, has been a guest on the show several times. He works as a developer on the ASP.NET team, sometimes building general MVC features, but mostly focusing on making it a great platform for JavaScript developers. Currently, he's shipping a set of ASP.NET project templates for Angular, React, Vue, and other SPA framework developers that add advanced functionality like server-side pre-rendering and instant updates on code changes. Daniel Roth is with us today. He's a program manager on the ASPNet team working on ASPNet Core, ASPNet MVC, and ASPNet Web API. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. So, we got one in the UK and one in Redmond. So, yeah.
1: And Daniel has been on the show before. He was on a Web API panel at NDC London, the very first NDC London back in
2: 2014.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. yeah four years ago.
2: Yeah, those, those were good days. <laughs> well, I, I'm really
0: glad you guys are here to talk about Blazor again. And uh, the reason that we're having you on today is because you're making an announcement today, right?
2: That's right. Yep, today we're announcing that we're bringing the Blazor project uh, into the ASP.NET org on GitHub. So
0: what does that mean exactly?
2: Well, so initially, Steve Sanderson did uh, the the initial prototype. Uh, he had put it on his own GitHub uh, private uh, uh, account and uh, created quite a pl- quite a splash with what uh, what he demoed in NDC. Um, and we found that pretty interesting on the ASMET team, and we've been spending the last, you know, five six months trying to figure out: is this could this really be a thing? Is this have a have a future? Can you really do DNN in the browser? We're doing a bunch of technical investigations. Um, been talking to to customers about their interest level in this technology. And, uh, we've decided that there's, there's quite a bit of promise here. So, uh, what this means is now the project is, it's moving into our org. You know, Ace folks are now, uh, actively developing Blazor. Uh, it's currently in an experimental phase. Like we're not, it's not a committed product yet. Um, so what that means is you shouldn't plan your next, you know, production application, uh, to be built on Blazor quite, quite yet. We're in what we're calling an experimental phase. Right. Uh, cause we want to prove out the technical feasibility of Blazor. We want to continue to gauge the, the amount of customer demand. Uh, but we are actively working on it now. The repo is, is now public. You can go take a look at the code. You can build it. Uh, there's it's still really early in the project. There's nothing to download yet. Uh, so there's not even a release. If you want to see what Blazer looks like in action, by all means, go check out the the prototypes that Steve had already shared, or check out his demo at NDC at Oslo. Um, those things are are, are still available, uh, but we are working as fast as we can to get to a, a, an initial release. So
0: Steve, the last time we talked with you, you had just given the demo and. you 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 proved the concept that you could do c-sharp in the browser and you but but i remember you saying that the parts of the framework that you had implemented were very limited yeah but it doesn't mean that the rest of it couldn't be it just wasn't yet yeah that's
3: right yeah so when i first put the prototype demo together it was not In any particularly official capacity, I didn't have a lot of time to spend on it. It was originally just a a demo for a conference presentation. So it really was just thrown together in the most like basic and amateurish hacky kind of way that I possibly could because I just needed to make it work as quickly as I could. Um, So, yeah, it was. I just implemented whatever was needed to make the demo work and nothing else. So, yeah, you absolutely couldn't build anything realistic on it. Mm. Uh, there were all kinds of limitations. There were limitations both in the framework that I'd built and also in the underlying platform because uh, at that time uh, it was running on a, a third party net framework uh, .net runtime called dna which stands for .net anywhere uh, which was something mm. made by one person and uh, was had not even been maintained for many years so um altogether so many aspects of that prototype were were just a demo there was nothing you could really do to to move it much further than that um, but uh, since we've had the authorization to start spending some proper time working on this. We've um, started again from the ground, um, taking all those learnings and uh, building the a similar set of concepts, although different in a few ways, um, but starting entirely from scratch and uh, with the goal of making actual production capable implementation now so mm-hmm. everything that we build now is uh, is really intended to have the right kind of developer experience the right kind of performance characteristics and uh, to really support everything that you would want end to end and and that's of course a much bigger project than something you can just throw together in you know a handful of weekends steve
1: i think we talked about this six months ago but why did you pick net anywhere why not just use the C Sharp compiler from uh, from .NET.
3: Uh, well, if I had a way of making the official .NET framework compile to WebAssembly, I'm sure I would have done that. But right. as you can probably guess, the real CLR is a huge and complex project. It's not uh, designed to just compile through a completely unknown tool chain like the MScript and C compiler. Uh, it, you know, it's it's designed to build in one specific way for a specific set of platforms. That is. You know, this the regular CLR is for Windows only and uh, core CLR supports a few other platforms, but it doesn't support uh, WebAssembly. And it's such a big and sophisticated thing that it, it wasn't realistic for me to just make that work on WebAssembly. But .NET Anywhere right. DNA is, is tiny by comparison. The whole implementation of it is about I think about hundred C files or something, which is just minuscule compared to the real .NET runtime. And yeah, it's because it's just plain old C source code and not even much of it, it wasn't that hard to compile it to WebAssembly.
0: Let's back up a little bit. And what does that mean exactly, compile to WebAssembly?
3: Okay, so the way that... Uh, blazer works the way it runs your application is uh, obviously it's in the browser and like we've, we've been saying it, it's webassembly so webassembly is a uh, a bytecode format that browsers can run these days all browsers now support it including mobile browsers and it's uh, a, a low-level binary format for code it's not JavaScript it looks somewhat more like assembly but it's not regular you know, machine code. It's not x86 assembly, or it's not just running directly on the bare metal CPU. It's a a bytecode. So it gets uh, JIT compiled by the browser to to run uh, fast when the browser wants to run it. And the idea when you Mm -hmm. want to run an application on WebAssembly is that you compile your application to WebAssembly from some other language. And the most uh, straightforward language to compile to WebAssembly from is C although C++ is not too hmm. much harder. Um, and it's not not really surprising. Those are very basic low-level languages, and so you can compile from mm-hmm. C to WebAssembly and you can run your code, and that's great. But if you want to run .NET inside a browser, how are you going to do that? Well, one approach would be that you could try and uh, compile the actual .NET assemblies to WebAssembly directly so you would somehow take all the msil instructions inside the .NET assembly and somehow convert it into a series of web assembly instructions and that might well be viable that would be called ahead of time compilation that is where you're doing all the work ahead of time to translate that .NET code into web assembly so the browser just runs it without needing to know that .NET even exists that's fine but that's quite hard to do or it's you know beyond what uh what was available to me when I did that original prototype, Mm. an alternative approach would be not to compile your application to WebAssembly, but to compile the .NET runtime itself to WebAssembly. So the thing that loads and executes .NET assemblies is itself WebAssembly. And so then once you've got that running in the browser, it can load and run any .NET assembly that you feed into it. And that was the approach that I took. And it's not just uh, handy as a way of getting a prototype working quickly, but it's also good as a realistic way of building your applications because it means that you've got a very fast development cycle. If you're working on .NET code and you're in Visual Studio and you're on the command line and then you want to do a compile, well, hopefully it only takes about one second or something for a reasonably small .NET project to compile to a .NET assembly. And once you've gone that, you can then load it into the browser, into the WebAssembly based runtime there. So that's a nice fast development cycle. Uh, If you compare that to something like ahead of time compilation, you're probably talking more like a 20 second or full minute or so uh, uh, cycle every time you want to change your code and then do the whole ahead of time Mm. compilation. So that was why I took that approach originally, but it's also proven itself to work pretty well. So we're following that same approach with the real implementation of Blazor, at least for applications in development mode. We might have an ahead of time compile mode when you actually go to publish your application if it turns out to run faster and be smaller
0: so after DNA you moved to the mono framework somehow how did that work
3: well it was very very easy for for me because I didn't have to do anything really uh, I just <laughs> heard that the mono team were going to support webassembly which was great and um, Dan somehow found the right people to talk to and we managed to get some early builds of um, mono uh, for webassembly and then it was a only a a, sh- a short process of converting the existing uh, Blazor runtime so that it would work on top of that mono uh, runtime instead of the dna one uh, mostly it just works the same the only bits i had to change were the low level interrupt bits where i'd sort of hacked my own weird ways of doing things in and i had to just change it into the mono way of doing interrupt and it basically worked so yeah easy for us hard for the mono team
0: basically worked i just, I just can, i've never had that development experience with regular mere mortal software let alone like this um did, so does that mean now that it supports mono that that there are more um inherently available apis
3: yeah 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 absolutely mono is a much more complete runtime than dna ever was going to be. So Mono obviously it's been pretty battle tested in running on all kinds of different devices. It's the thing that powers all Xamarin applications. It's also behind uh, all Unity games. You know, it's an extremely uh, complete implementation of .NET. It's also very well tested for all edge cases and to have the right performance characteristics and so on. So yeah, it's a far more stable base to build something on.
2: And they're really um, you know investing hard into their web assembly support like they've been blogging about their progress you know steve mentioned the various modes that we can compile the c sharp applications uh, like ahead of time compilation or doing like an il interpreter based approach the mono folks are doing all of that um, and they have a variety of motivations for that one is web development i think they're also looking at the gaming world like imagine a you know building unity games that run in the browser right. full 3d graphics running up you know blazingly fast without any uh, Plugins needed. Like some some pretty cool stuff that they're doing. Uh, so moving from DNA onto Mono has been a huge boon for us. Like they have, it's a much richer runtime environment, it's much broader set of API support, and, and it really makes a lot of sense. I mean, they really are, you know, the client .NET platform for a lot of the. The, the client platforms that matter today, like you know, mm-hmm. mobile apps, Android, iOS, gaming, um, right. Blazor is itself another client platform that happens to run the browser. So uh, it's really a, a pretty natural fit and natural partnership.
0: Hey guys, hold that thought for one second while we take a minute for this very important message. When you're building an application, you need it to be fast, secure, and always evolving. With Kubernetes Engine on the Google Cloud Platform, Developers can deploy fully managed containerized apps quickly and easily. Google has been running production workloads in containers for over 15 years, and they build the best of what they learn into Kubernetes, the industry leading open source container orchestrator. Kubernetes Engine combines automatic scaling, updates, and reliable self healing infrastructure with open source flexibility to cut down development cycles. And speed up time to market. Learn more about Kubernetes Engine online at g.co slash get GKE. That's g.co slash get GKE. And we're back. St.Net Rocks, Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, we're talking to and Roth and Steve Sanderson about Blazor, the current state of it, and uh, the announcement today that they're moving into the ASP.NET group on GitHub. And uh, so so what that means is that today, even as an update from the last time we talked about it, today, all those APIs are available. So what are the limitations of Blazor right now?
3: Well, right now, Blazor as an application platform is not finished. It can only do the things that we've implemented, and it's not everything that we want to implement. Um, so as of... When I stopped working on it about half an hour ago, um, it uh, it displays user interfaces quite nicely, but it doesn't have certain basic features like um, layouts and routing. Uh, You know, you need that sort Mm. of thing. Um, It doesn't have project templates yet. It doesn't have um, any clearly defined patterns around things like um, state containers, forms and validation, just so many things. You know, we're just getting started with this. Really? Yeah,
2: it's still pretty early in the project. Um, There's been a lot of uh, important technical investigations into problem areas that you know we want to make sure that they can work. Uh, You mentioned debugging earlier. Uh, After Steve did did his initial prototype, there was a big effort to see what we could do around getting. Uh, dotnet debugging to work, uh, in the browser. I think, uh, Steve and David Fowler were spent quite a bit of time on this. And, uh, the cool thing is, is that, you know, they got it working. And it's not just, uh, you can, you, not just debugging like in Visual Studio. It's both debugging in Visual Studio and in the browser. Like you can, uh, literally debug C Sharp code and the JavaScript code, uh, through, uh, your browser debugger. Wow. Uh, get IntelliSense breakpoints and so forth. So that was, that was pretty exciting to see. Um, we've also been doing a lot of experiments with JavaScript interop. Um, one thing that's interesting is if you have an existing JavaScript library that you want to be able to call into from C Sharp, like, wouldn't it be nice if you could actually sort of shrink wrap it as a with a C Sharp uh, API surface area that you could then call as if that library was actually implemented in .NET and C Sharp? Oh. Uh, that's something we've been looking at as well.
1: How cool would that be? Wow! Yeah, I think I, you showed this in the demo in back in uh, June. Steve, didn't you P invoke to JavaScript?
3: Yeah, I think I'm, I am I was doing that. That was quite a low-level way of interrupt. The thing that Dan's thinking about is um, not having to deal with it at such a, a low level, but rather having some way of saying, right. oh, I want to use this particular... JavaScript library and then getting what looks like a C-sharp class so that you can new it up and yeah. you can call methods on it and and you can just work with its entire API surface in a very natural way driven by the tooling and IntelliSense that you are normally used to. Um, now, of course, we would still have the more low-level forms of interop available if, if people want that, but so it would be nice to, to not force you to go through P-invokes every time you want to talk to some other library.
1: Yeah, that sounds just like good old back in dot net 1.1 days where it's like, could we just have a regular interface to this? Do I have to P invoke to calm? <laughs> I just laughed I, when I, I remember talking about this back then and going, man, I haven't P invoked in a decade. <laughs> and now you're doing it to JavaScript. Are you crazy? <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's not crazy. It works. And actually, imagine that you have a tool that, you, if you have a JavaScript library that, say, has TypeScript definitions, imagine you have a tool that can just read its TypeScript definitions, generate those C sharp wrappers for you, right? Uh, and all the, you know, the the PInvoke like code underneath, uh, so you can do it in a sort of automated way. You can take an existing library, take its TypeScript definitions, run it through the tool, and now you've got that strongly typed interface without, you know, maybe Microsoft or someone else having to go and implement it by hand for you. It's something that you can do in an almost an automated fashion.
1: Yeah, no, that, that should absolutely be the way and it just makes this all a level playing field. You'll have all these same bits everywhere. I did, I'm still just trying to picture Knox's dream of end-to-end C Sharp. What, what's going to end up being JavaScript no matter what?
2: That's a great question. I mean, you can really do anything that you want to in C-sharp. I guess there are a couple places where today, just because of limitations of WebAssembly, the runtime infrastructure itself is leveraging JavaScript heavily. Right. Um, for example, if you want to interact with the DOM, like you can't interact with the DOM directly from the WebAssembly-based code, but it still feels like you can because you can do JavaScript interop to enable like a DOM manipulation-based API, which is what we, we do today. Um, it's actually been, been fun. Like uh, a, a lot of people have sort Sort of, I think, assumed at this point that you know WebAssembly has hit its first um, you know milestone of being supported in all the browsers, but you know it's a really come of age and needs sort of another wave of new features. So far, we've we found that uh, a lot of the limitations that you might think are there actually aren't blockers at all. Like we fully expect actually to be able to ship Blazor and the um, uh, .NET WebAssembly support on top of the existing. WebAssembly format as it stands today, without any additional new features. Hmm, awesome. Now there may be new features that they could add to the spec that would make things even better, and we're working with the working group on that. On you know how can we make you know .NET work uh, even better on top of WebAssembly. But so far, everything that you would want to be able to do from a WebAssembly-based .NET runtime, uh, it's totally totally feasible to do today.
0: Wow,
1: and you you just said it, Dan. But the implication or the goal here is just to make this another part of the ASP.NET development suite that you can just run C-Sharp in the browser as well.
2: Yeah, you know, getting you an end-to-end story where you can write C-Sharp on the server, C-Sharp on the client, you know, leveraging Razor as a syntax, hence the name Blazor, Bra- Razor in the browser. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use it on both sides of the wire um, have a, uh, a you know a, a single page application framework where you're using st- you know normal web technologies HTML CSS but also being able to write your logic uh, in in C sharp and Razor that that is the goal right. and actually and at this point what Blazor becomes like I think in the past we've talked about Blazor as both the idea of being able to run some .NET code in the browser and also building that you know, uh, that web framework, you know, the thing that you actually need to then uh, get your job done when you want to write your app. Uh, at this point, Blazor moves to really focus on, uh, to be that web UI framework. Uh, the dot the in the browser part is going to be coming from our, our mono friends. That's what they're mm-hmm. working on. That's what Blazor will then build on top of. Mm-hmm. The job now for the ASP.NET team is to figure out, okay, what's the what's the application model look like? What does the component model look like? How do you build a composable UI? How do you manage your state? How, how can we do that with tooling that just makes it super easy right. uh, to get started and to, to author your components? How can we get that developer uh, workflow super fast and iterative and a super small um, p- payload side when you download your app, uh, those are all the things that now that we have mono as a, as a basis to build on that we can start focusing on so you can get that uh, highly productive web development experience.
1: I kind of think the challenge here is making sure the performance is fast enough. This feels like and I'm not just thinking about the initial load, although there's clearly there's going to be a spike there. Can this code run as fast?
2: I think the performance of the runtime is, is probably, I mean, what, what remains to be seen. It's still very early in the project. You know, maybe mm-hmm. there will be issues there. We do have to go through some layers in some cases, you know, to interact with the JavaScript runtime. Uh, but for the most part, Uh, WebAssembly was designed to be fast. The whole point of WebAssembly is that you can take native code and run it in the browser at native speeds. Right. So Mm -hmm. runtime performance, I mean, maybe there'll be some issues, but uh, that's not what concerns me the most. I mean, the thing that's more interesting right now is, you know, making sure that we can get that download size uh to be you know as small as possible so that we're not uh you know having forcing you to download like 20 megs of stuff in order to get a dot net app running in the browser that's that's really important uh, and then also making sure that your development experience feels fast and iterative like we can't we, web developers just Uh, won't tolerate a, you know, 30 second compilation step in order to get their app to show up in the browser. They want to see, like, I changed my code. And in fact, it it updated in the browser and I didn't even do anything. I just saved the file and magic happened. And that's actually where, you know, you mentioned, Full stack development with like ASP.NET Core on the back end. Uh, that's where we're doing some investments to really make that possible. Like having development middleware on the server that enables the uh, scenarios, like you know, uh, hot reload of 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 code in the browser, enables things like pre rendering of the of the views, so that you get uh, better performance uh, both when you're doing your development and also when you actually go into production.
0: Uh, so, do you think that there's room for st- um, file access from system I/O? In a limited capacity. I mean, there are there's an API right now that you know some browsers, most of the modern browsers support, but it's a little wonky. And you know, we all yeah. just we're used to using system IO.
2: Yeah, that's a great question. This is one of those areas that I think we're going to have to uh, really think hard about. Right. Um, you know, there's a, there's a tension between um, exposing the browser functionality to. .net code and choose C# sharp in a in a natural way in a way that's has fidelity to yeah. what that browser API actually can do. Exactly. Uh and then also trying to match that functionality in, where it makes sense to existing .net APIs that people know and love. Mm. Um like for you know you brought up IO and dealing with files, does it make sense to try and map that to an existing browser concept? I think where we're at right now is that we're thinking that probably not that that then we'll have too many uh, um, right, too inconsistencies many with what you would expect from the API. That it will actually cause more harm than good. Right. But we still think you should, of course, have that that other that that browser specific API that lets you do anything that the browser has available to you mm. uh, from .NET and C sharp.
3: A general principle is that we're not trying to make the browser a sort of virtual machine that just runs all desktop software in some kind of magic transparent way. You know, this is sure genuinely a web development framework and so it it works in the way that web developers would expect it uses apis that resemble regular web development and we hopefully don't have too much crazy abstraction in between you the developer and the apis that the browser offers normally so uh, yeah the specific example of the file io thing it i think it's it's pretty unlikely that people would be happy if if we just tried to magically simulate the normal uh, system io behaviors inside the browsers mm. there may be other cases where we can do something that that is a good enough match and i think one good example is with http client where that's such a, a dominant api in dotnet development as a way of uh, mm. working with http that you probably do want that to work and we probably can get the semantics of it to be close enough that for every reasonable situation, we can make the browser make the correct HTTP requests and supply a response in the right way. There may be some edge cases where it won't work correctly, but we're, we're falling on the side of saying, yes, we'll make HTTP client work via the browser, but perhaps not the system IO file APIs. But you know, it's all up for debate and, and we're, we're figuring this out as we go.
0: Wow. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. It's time for you to go home and rethink your life. <laughs> I don't know if that was Obi-Wan
1: or Ringo. I'm confused.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
3: a
1: well-forged really alloy the same person? of the They might be the same person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, man. It's actually time to give away a D experience subscription from DevExpress to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing, and you can get it for free on GitHub. Learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, is Michael Romig. Congratulations, Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Michael. A, a, a little clappas. Uh, a, a little bit of clappers for Michael. So he just won the D Experience subscription from DevExpress. That's a big pile of awesome from them just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .dot click on the big get free stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you have to sign up to win. And we like to ask our guests, guys. This ought to be fun. Uh, Dan, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy?
2: Whoa. $5,000. Uh, yeah. That's quite a bit. Um you know, I've had my heart set on getting one of those augmented reality headsets for a while. Mm, like, yeah. I I'd love to get, um, I think it's the, the Meta 2 uh, from the MetaVision guys. That thing looks like something I'd love to to play around with. Like I, I always envision sitting at my desk and instead of having like a whole bunch of monitors in front of me, to like just imagine I put on my augmented reality headset and I can put up as many virtual monitors as I want. I think that would be super sweet. Mm, very good. How
3: about you, Steve? Well, um, last time you asked me about that, I think I was I was saying I was thinking about putting up some, um, what do you call it, DC lighting to have uh, LED uh, yeah. lights all around my place. I have kind of done that, actually. So, yeah, a little update. It looks pretty good. I'm quite happy with that. Um, but, yeah, I guess if you're giving me some, even more money now, then I maybe I can deck out <laughs> the outside of my house as well. So I can have all kinds of cool blingy <laughs> lights and you know, a big sort of laser light show going on all the time. Um, I'm not sure the neighbors would like that, you know.
0: is awesome. A laser light show at Steve's house all the time. (laughs) All the time.
2: (laughs) People dancing in the yard.
1: (laughs) This whole putting up seasonal light things is too much work. You just need them hardwired into the house and you program it, right? Right. Even software is taking control of even the lighting. It's eating the lights. <laughs> wow! Well, and with LED these days, actually, with those little laser assemblies, I, I picked up a couple of them in Hong Kong. Yeah, they were like little laser light show devices. And I, they must have been fifty dollars. We could go really nuts with that stuff now. We could yeah. now. Now you got me thinking about my place. Oh no! How am I going to stay married? I still need to do this at the studio. Well, no, I, my favorite one of, your, of all of those things is the floating head of death. You, that was amazing. That was pretty fun. Yeah. That was hilarious.
0: We'll put a link to that. I essentially got a transparent um, uh, screen for projection and I put it over the inside. I taped it on the inside of my full length glass door and then I had a projector up above the door with uh, a 45-degree angle mirror, and I adjusted the azimuth so that it would bounce down from the projector right into the door and be the right proportion. And then I basically had myself uh, in the back room, on a camera, projected into the door, and I was also watching the security camera at the same time, which was above the door, so I could see the people. And then I hooked up um, a microphone, put some speakers under the deck, so that uh, I could actually speak. And here and it was fantastic. And that was a Halloween prank bar none. Ten years ago now. Yeah. But they well, you know, the the cool moment is the, here's his head appears
1: in the in the door <laughs> right. and you talk to the kids. And, and actually, then when it when the things sort of resolved and they're supposed to get their candy, somebody else just opens the door. The head just disappears. There was <laughs> yeah. nothing there the whole time. You're right.
0: like, What? <laughs> Wait. A minute. And it can Wait see you and comment on your costume. It's <laughs> really creepy.
1: Yep. That's anyway, a- we
0: digress. There you
1: go. Yep. Well, I think we were talking about serious web stuff here. What was it exactly?
0: Are you opening this up? Obviously, it's on GitHub, but are you opening it up for people to help do pull requests and stuff? Or are you now just still in that experimental phase where you don't want to take on uh, too many changes until you have a, a strategy going forward?
2: It's a real public GitHub repo. It has an issue tracker. We accept PRs. Um, I mean it's really early, so don't expect that there's gonna be a lot of documentation on how to build and stuff like that. But uh for those who are uh adventurous and want to try it out, um feel free to clone and, and help us out with, with uh with some contributions. We have a you can check out our contribution guide. We do have that on the repo, so you can find some instructions there on uh if you wanna submit a contribution.
0: So the kind of contributions you're talking about are maybe like filling out the the base class libraries or things like that.
2: So the base class library work, that's all going to become come from the the Mono runtime. So if you're interested in that part of the stack, like just fleshing out what it means to be .NET in the browser, you should go check out the Mono project and I'm sure they would appreciate the help as well. Uh, In the Blazor repo is where we're going to be focusing on the the web UI framework, building composable UI, like a component model. Um, That's where that part of the story is going to be developed. The integration also with uh, ASP.NET Core uh, for for development experiences and so forth. Um, So contributions there. Would be like if you you have ideas on how the component model should work, how it um, how it integrates with Razor, um, how we manage states, how we deal with forms and validation, uh, then the Blazor repo is where you're going to want to go. So like like think of. Existing spot frameworks like React and Angular, like the Blazor, is at that level of the stack, and then the .NET concepts like you know the BCL, the runtime, the 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 IL interpreter. That w- that would mean uh, go go help out the the Mono guys because you know, we're just building on the good work that they're already doing.
0: So this is a historic moment. I mean, if you have any ideas that you want to contribute, you have an opportunity to shape the future of web development. I mean, you, you do that anyway
2: that's right and, and you know we'd love to, to talk to people who are interested um, if you want to join us on Gitter um, uh, we'll be there to chat with folks about the scenarios and requirements and things that uh, you'd like to see Blazor do uh, feel free to file issues on the in the, the issue tracker if you have specific feature requests that you'd like us to look at or or if you run into any issues once we actually have some bits out there for you to download and use so again this it's still very early we don't even have a download yet so to even play with the bits at this point means trying to build yourself and uh, run the tests yourself. So it's you, you have to be pretty adventurous to, to participate in the project at this point But uh, mm. we're working hard To, uh, to get to a place where more, more people Can actually try it out themselves
1: I was looking at the original Blazer project Under Steve's repository And it, I saw, oh look There's a bunch of contributors There's like a dozen people contributed to that. Then I look at the list and it's it's David Fowler and Damian Edwards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I know who's contributing to this project. Yeah, it's not just that. Those... <laughs> it's interesting to see Steve Sanderson in his own project twice. So, do you actually keep a separate account for your Microsoft open source contributions, sir?
3: Yeah. Yeah. I do have a, a different GitHub account for that. Not for any particular reason, I suppose, in retrospect. But that was a, a choice I made eight years ago when I first joined Microsoft. Um, oh, as for the people contributing to the, that prototype repo, yeah, we have had um, people like um, uh, Damien and David Fowler and so on, but we've also had some really good stuff done from people who I didn't know before um, who have come in yeah. and to try and take on some really tricky stuff about fixing bugs in the underlying DNA runtime, which is pretty impressive uh, that that happened. Um, also, I, I think they probably would have been a lot more community participation if it wasn't for the fact that right from the very beginning I turned off the issue tracker and put a notice on the homepage saying like don't talk to me about this essentially yeah right um,
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes we know <laughs> yeah I was, I'm not that my sociable <laughs> person but now the, the reason for that was because <laughs> you know it was genuinely just thrown together and it was not sure. something that I was going to build into a realistic um, product and so to have people coming along going oh look there's this little bit that's not right that that would not be helpful since yeah like 90% right. of it is not right I don't really need right, that to right sure. out um, but yeah it's not that it's totally different with the new repo that's in the ASP network this is um, we we absolutely want people to to come and talk to us and um, and things that are not right tell us because yeah it's all supposed to be right from here on
1: well, and I got to think the transformation was getting the Mono uh, libraries in place. So suddenly, you don't have to deal with a six-year-old code base, and and there's an ongoing piece of development around Mono that's that's constant. Like that, that is a very busy project.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That has totally changed it. Another thing that's changed the the possibilities of what we can do is um, getting some other developers involved who who know stuff that that i don't know for example we've got um one person on the ASP.NET team now who's probably the you know the world's leading expert in asp net tooling and he's um making it work really nicely so when you're editing your code you get all the right intellisense and you know, you've got this really beautiful and fluid way of uh writing down your code to do with how components are composed together um, with the right syntax and the right warnings if you do things wrong and everything like that and that's just completely outside of my sphere of experience i do not know how to make visual studio do all that stuff but he does and so we're, we're able to make much faster progress now that we've got some of the right people involved nice
0: do you guys plan to implement async and await, or is it already implemented uh
3: it was already implemented yeah so and, and that's a mono wow. thing really so Yeah, sure. Um, Yeah, so I know that there's some limitations in the support as of today in Mono for WebAssembly. Um, We managed to work around them all up until now, but I I think they're aware that they need to fix some of the or, or to add some of the missing support. That's underlying. It. I, I'm pretty sure by the time people get to actually download and run this stuff, it will just behave the same as .dotnet normally behaves.
0: I saw one blog post from last fall, I think, that posed the question: Will Blazor save the world from JavaScript insanity?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I uh, can I respond to that one? Like, I, I I think that's a little, probably a little harsh. Like, I think the the JavaScript <laughs> folks have done. A lot of good work. Sure. Uh, and they have certainly pushed forward the the state-of-the-art in web development quite a bit. I, I remember looking at JavaScript... I don't know. It was like a decade ago and being a bit shocked and appalled at some of the things that you had to do at that point. And boy, have things really moved forward. Like, like at the time it was like everything's in the global namespace and, and the language had a bunch of limitations and they've, they've been moving forward the language. They've been, you know, building out like there, there are are mature, large uh, web frameworks like React and Angular and so forth that you can build web apps with today that are. Uh, pretty pretty phenomenal. What what I'm excited about with Blazor and WebAssembly is it really just it just opens the door. Like it, it it it's it broadens what it means to do web development. It's no longer just JavaScript. I mean JavaScript has a lot of strengths and you can do a lot of things with JavaScript. But now in addition, you if you want to do C#, Sharp uh, you can. And I expect that uh, other development platforms will will do very similar things. Like if you want to do Java in the browser, you can do that. If you want to do Python, absolutely. Like WebAssembly is a low level bytecode if you can compile it to WebAssembly, you can run it in the browser at native speeds and that's what really gets me excited like it makes web development so much more open so many more possibilities uh, so much more approachable to to a lot of people um, I do think it's an interesting question, though, like, you know, why.net, though? Like, is there, like, why would you pick to use.net for for doing your web development? And, uh, you know, Steve mentioned tooling, like the investments that we make in the tooling space. I think one of the areas that we're going to really try uh, to differentiate uh, is just have a phenomenal tooling experience. You know, you know, the razor editor on steroids, you know, defining components and getting just great IntelliSense and, uh, you know, ra- rapid development workflow. Uh, I think those are areas that we hope to show. You know, being able to, to, to use both .NET on the client and the server, like .NET has had, I think, a really strong history as a yes. as a server stack in terms of its security, reliability, and performance on on the server. You know, with Core, we can now run cross platform. Uh, I think there's a lot of benefits there. You know, the languages move very, uh, pretty quickly and have a uh, you know really cutting edge in terms of the features that uh, that we add to C Sharp and F Sharp. Right. Uh, you mentioned async await. Like you know, JavaScript does have, I, I believe, now async and async await patterns, but that came from the C-Sharp world. We had right. it for quite a while beforehand, and there's a lot of benefits in being able to innovate in the language space. So, yeah. we hope that you know, people will see what we're doing with .NET and, and they'll find it compelling and uh, give, give .NET a try maybe for the first time that we're, uh, that um, they've never maybe considered it before, but because of the opportunity to do full-stack development, maybe it uh, becomes more interesting.
0: Well, and i got to think of the historically, um, some people might call them dark matter developers, but the millions of developers Developers that work in corporate America, who were so focused on Windows for so long, and um, when .NET came along, you know those people followed suit and they got into .NET. They got into C Sharp and VB .NET and Web Forms, and you know they could actually do some Web Forms because it was in the same you know paradigm that uh, that uh, that we're used to working with. And then you know all of a sudden what happened you know it's like <laughs> to th- these people from their point of view it's like wow the world just went to the web and i am so lost you know um and, and a lot of these people ob- obviously uh had to embrace the you know all the all of the stuff that's been going on in the last 10 years but then again there's there's got to be a bunch more that are just like nah i think i'll just continue to maintain my my server software and my Windows software. And so for these guys and ladies, I think, you know, this represents an opportunity to to get into it at uh you know with using paradigms and tools and especially if what you're saying is true that you you plan to microsoftize this uh you know and I say that in a good way this developer experience. No <laughs> oh good, oh
2: good I was I was curious. <laughs> no
0: no no absolutely uh, because the the developer experience Uh, for microsoft languages is just amazing uh and you know because i've done the other ones and uh you guys just do the bit that's where you shine so if that if that experience can be analogous to things that we we're already familiar with doing and uh you know in the code that we're writing today that's it's uh i think gonna be amazing for the market,
2: yeah, we want to make it, you know, turnkey, easy to do to do web web development, both client side and server side. You know, easy to yeah. get started. Just file new project. Fantastic tooling, great libraries, a great UI framework, com- a component model where you can grab existing components that, you know, it could uh, anyone can produce and share uh, that you can use in your application. Uh, try and really uh, get that productivity back so that uh, you can build. On a web framework that uh, that you, that you love, that just just feels right. That's that's the goal. That's the dream. I mean,
0: I seriously can imagine how I'd like it to work. and if if you can get it to that level, uh, you've got something amazing on your hands.
1: I guess the question I, I guess maybe I'll throw that to Miguel Diacazo if we get a chance. is are there is there going to be a xamarin forms implementation that runs in WebAssembly? <laughs> and we can get the full silverlight experience.
2: That's an interesting question. You should ask him. <laughs> I mean, our, this is a good distinction, though. Like our goal is to, uh, um, you know, appeal to web developers who are familiar with HTML, CSS. Like we're really focused on the, the web set of technologies. There's certainly another developer base that, you know, likes XAML and is used to the XAML stack and, you know, is building, um, Xamarin apps for iOS and Android or UWP or WPF and I'm, I'm sure there's people that would love to have a, a XAML based UI stack as well um, whether that's going to happen don't know but uh, I can certainly see the, the demand for, from a set of folks that would want that but for Blazor sure. our goal is, is entirely focused on you know web technology uh, approach we're trying to appeal to people who are web developers today that know the the set of web technologies but instead of uh, but now they can write in C sharp and leverage the, the, the benefits of .NET that's that's what we're trying to do
1: and yeah correct me if i'm wrong here daniel but the only open source implementation that's even xaml like would be xamarin forms at this point the main xaml stack is not open source
2: Uh, as far as i know
1: not your problem as
2: far as i know yeah
1: (laughs) but i guess that's the interesting part is just sort of recognizing that well we have this idea of xaml standard which immediately implies at some point there's going to be an open source version of xaml but uh, Xamarin.Forms forms is the closest thing, and, uh, and and they're not the same. So it's going to be interesting to see what XAML standard ultimately turns into. But that's a whole other show, I suspect. Yeah.
2: We we do plan to support .NET standard, though, in Blazor. Uh, So being able to take like a .NET standard 2.0 library, a class library, and just run it in a Blazor application, uh, that is something that we do plan to do. I mean, there'll be obvious limitations because there are APIs in the .NET standard API surface area that don't really make sense in a browser. So those APIs would probably throw, you know, platform not supported exceptions. Uh, But being able to take a library that supports .NET standard and use it in your app, that is something that will be supported Awesome
0: Fantastic Guys uh, It's been amazing And uh, mind blown again And I can't wait to see what happens with Blazor
2: Yeah, it's it's early It's experimental But we're we're excited about the prospects as well
0: I can't wait to see what name it takes on Please make it a good
2: name Well, well you don't like Blazer? You don't think that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah Therein lies the problem I think
1: Blazer is a code name, and we know what happens when you have cool code names. You get terrible product names.
3: No, no. My plan is to use the word Blazor in as many places in the code as possible so that it becomes a breaking change if we change it, and we won't be able to.
0: Awesome. <laughs> That's a,
2: I love that solution. All right. That's really good. All
0: right. Steve Sanderson, Dan and Roth, thank you for joining us today. It's been amazing. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks.